0: This is the Employment Law Show. And we're here Thursday night, 6.33, back at it for another edition of the Employment Law Show. John Scholes here, and Stan Fenzelberg is your guy tonight. You can always email, because we're going to get through a ton of email tonight, or as much email as we can. In the uh, next 30 minutes, that is help at employmentlawyer.ca. Not just for tonight, the half hour, but you can use that email address anytime and get a hold of Stan and his crew, help at employmentlawyer.ca. And uh, the phone number, be on the number tonight to reach Stan anytime. Again, one But like I said, lines are open, guys. Got lots of open lines. Got lots of time. 416 870 Let's get it happening. The uh, case of the day, thought of the day, pal. What's going on with you?
1: Hey, good evening, John. Well, you know, one thing that I'm hearing a lot more of these days, John, especially in, with people, so many people working remotely, you know, and having access to a lot of confidential information outside of a physical office. One thing that I'm seeing a lot more of is, you know, people worrying about what do I do when I have to access information outside of my office or what do I do with that information once I'm terminated? Because so often, you know, while we're working, we're not really thinking about all these confidentiality issues that could arise when we're downloading stuff onto our personal emails or downloading stuff from our work server to our personal server so you can work on some application and work on some data. Well, you know, there was actually a very recent case, John, that dealt with this exact issue. Uh, In this case, it was actually a bank employee who had been let go. Uh, It started off very simply as a bank employee who was terminated without cause, clearly couldn't come to an agreement with the bank about what kind of severance she was owed uh, and decided to sue over that during the course of litigation one of the one of the fundamental steps in any lawsuit is called a examination or you know you often hear about it uh, referred to as a deposition in american tv basically the idea that one party gets to sit the other down and ask them a bunch of questions and during this uh, person's examination she actually randomly revealed that she had downloaded a bunch of information from the, the bank's servers onto a USB and had taken it home with her and kind of left it there for years. Uh, The reason, you know, she there were not really great reasons why she did this. uh, And this was actually pretty sensitive client information, including addresses, phone numbers, SIN numbers, all of that stuff. So the first issue that arose was, well, how does the bank use this? Because they didn't terminate her for cause. They just discovered this as part of the litigation itself. And there's actually a concept in employment law, John, that's called after acquired cause. Basically, the idea that if you had known something at the time you let this person go that you discovered after during litigation, you can rely upon that as long as you can prove you didn't know about it at the time you let her go. And here, there was no question the bank didn't know it. Only came up during the examination. And the judge said, "Absolutely, the bank can amend its defense and now allege that they have cause to not pay this employee any any severance whatsoever." Uh, and that ultimately did go to trial. And despite the sensitive information that this employee took, and really not having great reasons for having taken it, uh, the the court still found that that wasn't a high enough violation essentially to um to have cause for the bank to let her go and not owe her any money um again there was a couple, number of reasons they the bank found, uh, or the court found this you know first of all it was a 23 year employee with pretty much a spotless otherwise record she wasn't let go because of you know anything she had done it was just a restructuring right. there was also in you know other considerations that the court actually took into account was the fact that this person was going through a lot of very difficult personal circumstances at the time this happened and really you know it just shows that the courts will take a very holistic approach even to something as sensitive as taking banking information home and breaching you know any number of confidentiality issue uh, provisions with with bank clients in this situation. It's uh, it's very
0: um, now. This obviously didn't hold water in this particular case for the bank. They couldn't uh, turn around and and say they have cause. But is there a time limit on that thing, or is it something they can only reverse on during you know discovery or uh, or whatever you said, or you know a year down the line they can say, oh wait a minute, we just
1: discovered this. We didn't know this
0: a year ago, or is that too
1: late? So the way all statute of limitations for employment cases or pretty much any case work in Ontario is that you have two years to bring your defense or lawsuit from the time that either whatever the cause of action is that happened or from the time that you discover the cause of action so in, in this case I mean, first of all, this is kind of slightly different because they're using a defense. But what you're talking about is essentially condemnation. whether if they had known already and hadn't relied upon it, or if they had known for so long and didn't rely upon it for so long, they've essentially condoned that what that person did doesn't amount to the allegation that they're now trying to put forward. And from the plaintiff side or any lawsuit side against, from if the the time you discover, the cause of action, even if it happened many years ago, but you didn't, you can prove I didn't even know, I didn't know that they had breached whatever had happened. Uh, you're allowed to proceed with that.
0: There you go. Question answered. We got a, a ton of email. That's where we're going to focus on the show today. Let's uh, move on down. Trisha's um, first says, uh, Stan, my company just put me on a performance improvement plan, and I completely disagree with this. What can I do to fight this as the issues they have identified are completely made up?
1: You know, John, I hear from a lot of people how often performance, being such a subjective thing, there's right. always disagreements around performance improvement plans. And, and uh, to be fair to Tricia, there are oftentimes I've seen companies just use this as a pretense to kind of build a a case so they can, you know, eventually let this person go, even potentially for cause, mm-hmm. if they want to try try to go that route. Ultimately, Trisha, you know, there's only so much you can do in this situation It is the company's perspective. You know, a performance improvement plan is their subjective opinion that you're not doing well enough. That doesn't ultimately mean that's true. uh, And you are allowed to disagree with that. But what you have to ultimately do is just comply with whatever the uh, the PIP in this case asks you to do to the best of your ability. And if they were to do something as foolish as try to argue, oh, you didn't meet some some random performance standard that they nobody meets, uh, and we're going to allege cause and, and try not to pay you severance, well, at that point, it no longer becomes a subjective opinion of theirs. It actually goes to court, and the court will evaluate whether you had any sort of performance issues, and, will, and it can easily disagree with the company and say that doesn't even come close to cause but from a practical perspective you know when you're dealing with your employer and they're telling you these issues are there even if you disagree with it you kind of have to do your best and just work with them but you are, but as well you know protect yourself and write them an email that says i disagree with this and i fundamentally True. disagree with you know whatever aspects we're talking about but at the same time you know just try to go through the the paces if they're going to let you go you know if they've already made that decision, there's very little you can do to to stop that. The only thing you can do is protect yourself by writing that kind of email.
0: Yeah, you always say have a permanent record on your end, and if they don't reply, that's fine. That's uh, same as acceptance if they don't reply to it. So either way, you're covered, but always get that email. In response, yep. uh, in response for sure. Ryan says, guys, I was told in December that the company made, uh, made bonus and we would be paid our usual bonus in February. However, I was just let go and they're refusing to pay me the bonus. Do they have to give me that bonus if I work the entire year for the
1: company? So the first thing we have to figure out here, John, is we have to look at Ryan's contract because- If it has certain language in it, it could disentitle him even from a bonus that he's already earned. Mm. For example, if it said something like, "you know, the bonus technically isn't earned until uh, you're, unless you're they there on the day of uh, of payment, and if you're not terminated or if you get terminated before then, any any time outside of your statutory notice period, we don't have to pay it to you." Something like that would actually even disentitle you from. Previous year's bonus because based on the technical language, you don't earn it until you're there or your statutory notice period covers it. If you don't have that kind of language, or if you're ju- if you have no contract whatsoever, not only do they owe you bonus for the previous year, they very likely owe you bonus going forward throughout the notice period as well because you are entitled to every form of compensation uh, throughout your notice period. And if you if you've made bonus every year for the last five years. You know, that's basically your compensation. And it's the way that we would calculate what you're owed as part of your severance. It's a good
0: answer. Any more uh, questions, Ryan? You can always reach out by the phone line uh, to stand anytime, 1 855 821 5900. Let's pop into a quick break and come on the other side with more of your email. Send one along. If we don't get to it tonight, it'll be uh, stockpiled and we will get to it uh, eventually on a future show. Thursday night edition Employment Law Show rolls on. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Employment Law Show. Welcome back indeed. Six forty-five. Lots of time as we carry on here on the Thursday Night Edition. Stan Fanzelberg is your guy. You want to reach out to Stan? You can after the show. You have a matter to discuss, and that would be uh, 1-855-821-5900. Help at employmentlawyer.ca is the email address. Tina, thanks for standing by momentarily. Good evening. How are you? Good evening.
2: I'm... As well as can be expected. How are you? <laughs>
0: oh, okay. Good to have you. Good to have you on air with us. What's going on with you?
2: So up until 10 o'clock this morning, I was employed by Bell Canada. Um, mm-hmm. as part of their big uh, turn, I have been let go. Mm-hmm. Part, part of the issue is I don't think the severance package is enough. But besides that, last, mm-hmm. I've, been, uh, I've been under a WSIB claim since last June. That is still active. I am going in next week to the surgeon to get the results of some imagery. I might have to have surgery. I do not have full functionality back yet. I just don't see how I can possibly get a full-time job with the same that I had with with Bell with this, I don't don't want to say disability, but with this issue. Mm
1: Yeah. Well, that's terrible to hear, Tina. I'm very sorry about your your workplace injury. Uh, And yeah, I mean, everyone, as everyone I'm sure has read, Bell is going through a massive round of layoffs, and I'm sorry to hear that you've also been kind of part of that. In terms of the severance piece, uh, I've seen a few of these packages, and I'm not surprised to hear that they're a little bit subpar. So you should absolutely call us at the office, and somebody will connect you to one of the lawyers, and you can talk to them about that and decide on a game plan. Um, in terms of the WSIB piece and the, you know, the, again, I don't want to call a disability as well, um, but, but the workplace injury. So usually WSIB will continue, you know, to pay you a stipend while you are unable to work or while you has, have restrictions. And even if they determine them to be permanent restrictions, they will, in certain instances, pay you permanently a percentage of your uh, income or some portion. and uh, other, in terms of whether you know Bell can let you go in this kind of situation, I, I think it's pretty fair to say that Bell, you know, didn't consider the the medical issues probably whatsoever when they're letting go ten almost ten percent of their workforce, and you more than likely just got consumed as part of a larger work reduction. So in that kind of instance, as I've said, you know, I'm sure people have heard us say it here, that's that's not discriminatory, because they're not really treating you any differently because of any of your medical issues. Uh, but in terms of WSIB, I mean, you can continue to connect and work with WSIB if you have a surgery coming up. I mean, it sounds very likely that they should be continuing to pay you well, that through that surgery, through your recovery time and really until they make a determination or your doctors make a determination that you're able to go back to work.
2: But but here's here's the catch. Mm-hmm. All through all through this uh, claim, Bell has been paying my salary, not WSIB. WSIB has only been paying for the rehab.
1: I have to understand that more f- and look in, like the specifics of that. That's an unusual arrangement and I don't know if yeah. Bell has a specific arrangement with WSAB. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised Bell being such a large employer that they have their own s- specific arrangement with WSB. I haven't heard of anything like that particularly. Uh, so you'd have to look at the specifics of the plan. Honestly, the the best way to figure out or the starting point at least would be to ask WSAB what their intention is and what they intend to pay you moving forward. And if if they're not prepared to pay you any form of income uh, or replacement income, you're very likely should talk to a WCB lawyer about that or talk to our firm about that and see what we can do. Because I would find that strange, especially if you have an upcoming sur- surgery and especially if it's already been determined that you have a proper workplace injury claim. Okay. So I'll reach out
2: to your firm.
0: Yeah, exactly, Tina. That's uh, that's what you want to do for sure. I'll give you that number. That's usually uh, the answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, 821 one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Tina, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Frank, you're up next, pal. Good evening. How are you? Good evening, guys. I just want to ask uh,
3: the lawyer over there. Mm. I got a I got an individual over here, a buddy of mine that uh, he's uh, he got hurt with, and he had WSIB. The WSIB. Uh, employer failed to do uh, an incident and accident report, and um, it's by law that they 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 fill one out. After he was driven to the hospital by the foreman uh, mm-hmm. himself, uh, and the form seven was filled out for, and then obviously went on light duties uh, after coming back going back to work. Uh, to this day, he hasn't received. Um, uh received uh anything composition from WSIB, and his and his uh employer terminated him without without cause uh, well they say with cause but it was yeah. really without cause and um the union hasn't done anything about it and um basically Oof. now the union's telling telling um not to uh not to hire this not to hire this guy
1: yeah, I, it's. Uh, it seems like there's quite a lot going on there. I mean, the first thing I'll immediately say is, you know, have if he has, if he's unionized, if he's part of the union, as our listeners know, there's not much we can do for that individual because only a union can represent you against your employer. It, but I understand the only, that, if, the if, only if ins- the
3: union's not acting on the on the uh, on the uh, employee's behalf like they're supposed to, as they're mandated by the Interior uh, Labor Relations yeah. Board. So what the hell What the hell does
1: that person do? Yeah. Well, there's technically speaking, and this is where I know is incredibly frustrating, the unions, uh, the way that they have to, you know, think of their interests are not simply on the employee's behalf, but on the membership's behalf, all of their employees, which you, usually mm-hmm. just means thinking of on their own behalf as the union. If your union's not representing you, you can do what's called a duty of fair representation complaint, but they're very difficult to win. In your particular friend's ish uh, situation, though, he can go to the Human Rights Tribunal if he's been discriminated against, both by the employer here, it sounds like, and both by the union as well. Uh, and in that instance, you are allowed to get your own counsel outside of the union, proceed against, again, uh, even the employer or the union— if you feel like they've discriminated against you here it sounds very clearly that he has a medical disability. I don't know how he w- I, I don't understand how you got terminated specifically while having false a medical disability
3: to get rid of him on false allegations yeah. to get rid of the get rid of the problem which was him and he wasn't a problem. he was just a uh, a, 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 a thorn in their a thorn in their side because he was hurt and they didn't do, do, do their due diligence in providing an accident report.
1: Well, it sounds like you you should go speak to the Ministry as well, the Ministry of Labor, and have them investigate that workplace injury because, I mean, there's obviously – it sounds like a construction environment and there's significant penalties potentially, including criminal charges if people don't have a safe work environment in a construction uh, – on a construction site. But beyond that, you know, he, he has the ability to either try to get – do a duty fair representation uh, complaint against the union, which I frankly wouldn't suggest or go to the Human Rights Tribunal and allege that they're all discriminating against him. And really, that's his best forum and let the, and, you know bring this all to light to the best way he can.
0: Frank, we got to let you go and move on, pal. Appreciate the call, but uh, let us know what happens in any further details or questions. You can always uh, reach out to Stan to uh, help at employmentlawyer.ca and one 821 5,900. Flipping back to our uh, pile of email, Thomas Thomas is up next here. Stan says, guys, I had an argument with my boss because he refuses to pay us during our lunch break. Is he allowed to do that?
1: So Thomas, the the Employment Standards Act specifically says that for every five hours of work, an employee is entitled to a 30-minute unpaid break. Uh, So if you're If you're saying that your employer is not paying you for your 30 minute unpaid break, you know, most people get an hour because most work days are eight to nine hours. That's two, five, at least five hours worth of blocks. And so they're entitled to two half hour breaks. But the key there is that they don't have to necessarily pay for those breaks or during those breaks. So unfortunately, Thomas, your boss is right in this instance, and, and they don't have to pay you during that lunch break.
0: All right, moving on down to Jane says my manager has made numerous inappropriate sexual comments to me. I've told him to stop and talk to HR mm-hmm. about it, but he is the owner's brother and they won't do anything. What can I do at
1: this point? Uh, yeah. Um I mean again a lot going on there, Jane. Uh there's you do have a number of remedies, and I'm sorry to hear what you're going through. Uh, Firstly, I would tell you, you get out of that environment. That sounds like an incredibly terrible work environment. And if the company is not going to protect you, then you have to take steps to protect yourself. Mm-hmm. John, that's a very, you know, from the, what she's describing, sounds like a very clear constructive dismissal. There's no real, you know, context I can think of in which a person makes continuous, inappropriate sexual comments towards someone who's told them to stop and which it's in which that wouldn't be considered a toxic work environment. So I would say that's very clear constructive dismissal. Uh, I might also say that's a, a that's discrimination on the basis of sex, of sex. Um you, you know, punitive damages, all number of claims you have against, you know, the, the company here, but it, Basically starts with making the decision to to get out of that environment, uh, walk away and and sue them for, you know, all those other things that I mentioned. Trevor's got a very uh, simple question. A lot of people
0: wonder, what is the most <laughs> severance that I can get uh, if I'm terminated?
1: Uh, well the easy the the answer is depends Trevor it depends on yeah. a couple of factors that you've all heard us talk about any number of times it's age position length of employment and ability to find new employment in the work uh, uh, in the future Very simple Trevor by the way by the way it's a good time to plug this sucker <laughs> uh,
0: Trevor if you got a moment simply go to pocketemploymentlawyer.ca and uh, you can search out the severance calculator. It'll give you exactly the information you're looking for pretty much in about 30 seconds. Again, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. We'll uh, wrap it up quickly here with Tanya. Tanya says, my employer terminated overtime pay, made us employees sign something before the overtime pay stopped. My question is, is that signage legal?
1: You can't come to an agreement over something that's illegal so if you're entitled to overtime pay even if you agree to sign and sign a document that says i am not owed overtime pay that falls below the minimum standards in the employment standards act it says right there you're entitled to overtime over 44 hours a week if you're not getting that you're getting something less than that and it's illegal it'd be no different than paying you less than minimum wage you can't agree to something that's illegal and with that, we are going to wrap her up for another night. We'll catch you on the
0: weekend, though. Keep those uh, questions in mind next time we do the show on the weekend. Uh, feel free to chime in and ask us and call. Uh, in the meantime, you can reach Stan and his uh, his pals and his team at 1-855-821-5900. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. And as I just mentioned moments ago, the website you can use free and anonymously, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. We'll catch you next time right here on the Employment Law Show.